According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. We are in Proverbs 12 once again. But uh, this morning, I believe we're ready to move on to verses uh, 12 through 14. I think we tackled everything out of 9 through 11 I want to look at and probably squeeze too much grape juice out of those grapes and at a certain point you just kill a passage to death and say, all right, let's move on to the next one <laughs> and see what, uh, what doctrine we can glean from here. Proverbs 12, verses 12, 13, and 14. We're going to handle these verses as a unit. I believe they're structured poetically as a unit and uh, in uh, the structure of the, of the Hebrew verses here. The wicked man desires the booty of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, but the, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. So these are the three verses we want to cover here starting today. Before we do get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Ask the Father to set aside our distractions and to humble us under the authority of eternal truth. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you this morning for the truth of your word and the blessing that is our blessing, Father, to assemble this morning to receive instruction. Father, I thank you for this midweek class and the blessings we have to come together and and uh, thank you for the book of Hebrews, and Father, uh, the book of Proverbs, rather. Uh, open the eyes of our understanding, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so verses 12, 13, and 14. And if I pull it up here on my slides, we'll get started with it. It should be there. We have some metaphors that we're dealing with here, including nets and roots and farming and fishing and other things. They, they all utilize food gathering as a metaphor. I changed my verses to verses. Thank you, Ethel. I fixed my spelling from last week. But we have food gathering metaphors and the nets that we have here. The term booty in verse 12 speaks of nets and speaks of capturing something in a net that you would do if you were fishing or if you were trapping an animal or a bird of some sort with a net. And so we have food gathering metaphors in uh, verses 12 and 13 and really throughout here. Um, But we're not really talking about farming. We're not really talking about, uh, uh, we use those metaphors to speak to a larger reality. And that's what we're dealing here with a contrast of the wicked versus the righteous. And how do we approach life? And how do we obtain that which we feel we need to obtain? So point eight in the outline here of this chapter, food gathering metaphors speak to the personal conduct of the wicked versus the righteous. And uh, we'll see it here in verse 12. The wicked man desires the booty of evil men. And the booty being, uh, being in, in, in this sense, uh, the objects that are in somebody else's net, all right? Uh, that makes it booty. It's, uh, it's theirs because it's in their net. And they have netted it, they have absconded with it, and so it's theirs. But you want it, okay? And so who cares if it's in their net? I want it. And so you have an attitude that then takes what somebody else has. And that's the mindset in terms of wickedness. 
but the root of the righteous yields fruit. And so an entirely different mode of production comes about that's not grabbing something else that belongs to somebody else, but actually producing by planting, by nurturing, by growing, by putting down roots, and then taking the time to nurture those roots and to bring forth what is produced from those roots. And so we have two different mindsets in view. One is, uh, is uh, uh, confiscatory and the other is uh, productive, all right? And they couldn't be more different. And uh, the nature of plunder and the nature of confiscation is such that uh, you are removing from somebody else what he has and now he no longer has it because you now have it. Uh, versus the, that's, that's on the one hand, that's what wickedness has as a mentality. That somebody has something, they shouldn't have it, or it's not right that they have it, or they have too much of it, or I feel like I should be entitled to some of that or all of that. And so in a confiscatory way, in a, in a plundering kind of way, it comes down to a competition, who can be the better plunderer? <laughs> all right? And who can plunder more and hold on to it to keep some other plunderer from replundering what I've already plundered? Okay? Because, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's no honor among thieves. And you might have noticed that. And the, the aspect of this, if it's every man for himself and stealing what you can get and holding on to it, it becomes, a, it becomes a, an ugly thing very quickly. And that's, that's the nature of this dark world in which we live. As opposed to the hard work that goes into putting down roots. You know, and if you're going to put down a root, you're not going to see something right away. Uh, in fact, the very act of putting down a seed, of burying a seed, is that uh, you're, you're taking something and putting it out of sight and then waiting. And because uh, there's not a, a plant in the world that you plant the seed and within, you know, three minutes uh, you're, you're eating your popcorn, as, as it will, okay? We, I, I like to illustrate with popcorn because I eat a lot of it and it's, it's, it's three minutes in the microwave. And, and, uh, and that I, sometimes bugs me that it takes so long. Okay, when I mean, goodness, you know, going back to childhood, and you had a pan with oil, and it was just, man, you talk about messy, and and what it took to make popcorn back in the day compared to today, we're so spoiled with three minute popcorn. Well, that's my illustration for the fact that we have grown accustomed to instantaneous gratification. That we want, if if we have an appetite, we want that appetite satisfied immediately. And by and large, uh, in a nation as prosperous as ours, we, we can. We can. And, and that's just the way it goes. If I, want, if I want a burger or I want steak or I want fish or I want, who wants fish? If I want chicken, if I want pizza, if I want Chinese, if I want Italian, if I want pasta, if I want, I mean, just think about it. What can I not have? And what can I not have today? Say, I'm talking about any of us and the wealth that we have, the, the, the even people of modest means or even the poorest among us are, are rich by global standards compared to any place else on the planet. So um, there's a lot of larger philosophical ideas I want to get into as we, as we look at this, but we're talking about uh, the, 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 the metaphors uh, that are presented here just bring so many images to mind when we think about booty uh, or we think about the nets. And, and, and the problem with nets is that uh, you get tripped up in them, which we'll see in verse 13. 
an evil man is ensnared. That's that's again, it's a net in its in its uh, picture. The evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. So how do you get out of that net? Don't engage in that sinful activity. All right. And uh, the lies that you have to tell that trap you into telling more lies to cover the earlier lies, and it's just one net after another, after another, after another, and eventually you will get tripped up. And uh, as opposed to just speaking the truth in love, that's simple. Um, just remember the truth and speak the truth. And, uh, and aspects there. So, um, and then more progression in verse 14. These actually build from 12, the concept of 12 feeds into 13, the concept from 13 feeds into 14, and 14 is not a, a contrast uh, of, of A versus B. Uh, when we get to 14, it is a complementary parallelism where we have an and, where we have two positive things that are being said. Uh, both are positive in, uh, in verse 14 about uh, the fruit of our words and the uh, fruit or production of, uh, of a man's hands. So we'll see that as well. All right? First of all, wickedness traps and seizes. Wickedness traps and seizes, but righteousness puts down roots so as to yield, it's going to produce a yield, and to supply. And, and this is a concept that's broader than this individual verse, but I think it's fundamental to all of Proverbs, is that when we have an increase, when we have an abundance, it's not only for us. We have a supply to share with others, a supply to share with our family, a supply to share with our church family, a supply to share with those in need. And uh, it's, it's, it's the generosity that comes from following God's mechanisms and not the selfishness that comes from pursuing the world's mechanisms. So, wickedness traps and seizes. That's the imagery there. It's trapping, it's ensnaring, it's seizing, it's, it's grabbing hold of it and, and claiming it for self, denying others. You know, If that's somebody else's booty, why am I taking it? Because I want it, right? And, and I'm taking it and denying him his enjoyment of what should be rightfully his, or maybe wrongfully his, as the case may be. And that's the, that's the mindset. Whereas righteousness puts down roots, puts down those roots so as to yield. And what kind of yield do you, do you gain? Well, there may be a variety in the yield. It depends on how well you're tending the, the root, how well you're tending the plant, how well you're tending the, the tender shoot that comes up. You know, and when it first sprouts up, uh, you're not reaping the harvest right away. How well do you tend it? Okay, and if it's if the vine is the metaphor, well then we've got John fifteen to work with, and we've got what the Father does when He prunes and when He tends and when He lifts up and when He uh, recognizes the yield is not what it should be, and He desires a greater yield. What does He do? He prunes it, right? And there's all that 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 message there in in uh, John fifteen that speaks to the very same metaphor we're speaking to here in Proverbs chapter twelve, and so the idea of a yield. The idea of supply, providing the need for somebody else. Okay, And this, I think, is compatible with everything else we've already seen earlier in Proverbs and what we'll see later in Proverbs. This unrighteous gain is no gain at all. This unrighteous gain, I put that gain in quotes because we'll call it gain. You know, we call it uh, profit, you know, because I've, I now have more. But is it really a gain? 
Is it really, uh, because it's not a profit, it's a plunder. I've stolen from somebody else. And so it's not a gain. It might be personally to me, I may personally, through plunder, I might personally have more, but the person I plundered from now has less. And, and so in what way then is there true gain as, as the Father designed it? So this unrighteous gain is no gain at all in a never-ending fear of theft. You know, yeah, you have it now, so okay, add it on your ledger sheet as an asset until somebody else takes it from you. Okay, so how secure are you in this, uh, in this gain? How secure are you in your, in your overall uh, portfolio, your asset sheet? Okay, if you're constantly living in fear of, of uh, you know, yeah, now it's your booty, but it was his booty before. Now it's your booty. What happens when somebody else comes along and likes your booty and takes your booty? Okay, that's how this world works. So, uh, concepts on this. We've already seen, going all back to chapter 1. And uh, that shouldn't be verse 9, it should be 18 and 19. Let me cross that off. Yeah, verse 9 doesn't fit at all. A graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. That's not appropriate. It's 18 and 19. And I knew that when I put that 9 in there. Alright, so we'll cross that off. Look at verse 18. Um, And here again, this is part of uh, the crowd that we don't want to be running with. The... um, it says in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. There's a crowd that wants you to do what they're doing. But you have a new standard now. You're a believer. You live according to the Word of God. Uh, you don't do what the unbeliever does, and you don't do what the carnal believers do. You, you do what the Word of God says. You live doctrine and you glorify Jesus Christ. So if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without cause. Well, that sounds fun. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. The things that, uh, that they find enjoyable, we don't find enjoyable. And uh, verse 13, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will fill our houses with spoil. Well, if it's not yours, why are you plundering it? What are you, what are you really doing here? And you, seriously, these guys have to die so we can, we can scarf what's theirs? Um, throw in your lot with us, we shall all have one purse. Okay? And this is not a cooperative endeavor of any kind of rudimentary capitalism here, no. This is, uh, this is thieves that are working together to, uh, to, uh, on a cooperative effort here to uh, band together in a pirate band or what have you. Um, and uh, you know, they, can, they can steal more if there's more of them doing this and then they can divide up the, the plunder uh, even Stephen, no? Okay, you really think so? You think they'll be honest about splitting the loot? Come on, these are thieves we're talking about. <laughs> these are murderers. You know, uh, they, they get away with what they can. And if that means robbing you at the end of the day, what's to stop them from doing that? You think they have ethics? All right. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path, for their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed blood. You know, they don't want to split it five ways. They'll kill you and split it four ways. Kill you and you know, split it three ways, whatever. There's more booty to split around if there's fewer uh, partners in this, uh, in this cabal. 
All right, verse 17. Indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. So here again, it's the language of nets, it's the language of trapping, and it uses common sense. You know, if you're trying to catch a bird, don't put the net out there in the bait while he's watching you. Okay, that's kind of, yeah, you know, there's a mouse watching you, and so you put the, the cheese on the trap while, while he's watching you do what you're doing. You know, yeah, they're animals, but they're not stupid. They see what you're doing. And uh, so why don't you have your eyes open to see what these guys are doing? Do you see what they're doing? They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush their own souls, their own lives. You've got nephesh. Remember, we've been doing some nephesh studies lately. So if, if you are pursuing such endeavors, um, you know, the damage that gets done, we talk about soul damage, the consequences of sin, and, and uh, in particular, the soul damage that gets done. If, you're gonna, if you are going to shed blood, who are you really hurting? I mean, yeah, you have a murder victim, but you're actually damaging your own soul as well. Same thing with fornication. You damage your own soul. You damage your own nephesh with these things that are violating God's standard. And so uh, say you're successful. Let's say you make off with a booty and, uh, and, and hooray, now you're back in your lair and you're counting your loot and you're all happy with what you've done. You're damaging your soul in the process. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the nephesh, the life of its possessors. So you have it, you now possess and um, gains by violence. What do you have? Do you have true profit or you have gain by violence? That's what you have. And, it, and if you possess that, it takes away your, uh, your soul. Over to chapter 10. Proverbs 10, remember this? Verse 2 and verse 3. Now this is uh, the introduction to per, uh, personal and public wisdom. We've wrapped up the parental portion at the end of chapter 9. Now we have a whole new section heading for chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon, and now it's a whole realm of doctrine that applies to uh, a believer who's stepping forth in his own generation. So uh, here it is. Ill-gotten gains do not profit but righteousness delivers from death. And that's the contrast. Same thing we're talking about from chapter 1. Same thing we're talking about from chapter 12. Ill-gotten gains. Well, they are gains, right? They're called gains. But they're called ill-gotten gains. And so they don't profit. How does a profit not profit? How does a gain not gain? Well, this is a gain that doesn't profit, say. Because it is a gain, but it's ill-gotten. And so there's no genuine profit. There's no uh, the, the value in God's eyes, it has none. But righteousness delivers from death. See, if you're going to insist on, on using Satan's method for the acquisition of whatever, you're damaging your own soul. Verse 3, the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. And we taught that. You know, the appetite and for what it is, if it's legitimate, God will provide for it. And if it's not legitimate, you don't need it. See, we get these cravings. Notice there's a difference between a hunger and a craving. A hunger is legitimate. An appetite is proper within the boundaries of how God designed it. Legitimate hunger is great, and God's got provision for that. Food, tasty food, taste buds, enjoy it. 
Men prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes life merry. Within the boundaries of God's design, food and drink is pleasurable, enjoyable, and have a, have a good time. And, and better than the food is the fellowship you get to have with believers when you're talking doctrine over the meal. Okay? What does Satan do? And all these get, things get perverted and you end up with gluttony and drunkenness and you end up abusing these things and, and it's just uh, horrendous. Same thing with sex. It gets abused. But the, 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 the appetite itself, is there nothing wrong with that. It's designed and God's given you a, a, a spouse and that's by design. One man, one woman, here's marriage. Those appetites are provided for perfectly. And it's only when the the legitimate hunger becomes a carnal thing. It becomes then craving of the wicked. And now it's, it's, it's hideous. Absolutely ugly in, uh, in these applications. Same thing over in uh, Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 4 and verse 5. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. How did you obtain those riches? What are, you, what are you depending on those riches? You think those riches are going to bail you out of the wrath of God when you're acquiring those riches by wicked means. Again, I think you want to take verse 4 and 5 and take it in a contrast or in a context with, uh, with uh, verses 2 and 3 there where you see there's different ways to operate with integrity, with crookedness. Okay? Verse 5, the righteousness of, his, of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. Be careful if you start laying traps around. You might just step in one of your own making. <laughs> you know? You're digging a pit because you're hoping to plunder somebody and then you fall into your own pit. And uh, this is what happens. And that's why it's, it's, it's never a gain. You're always terrified of losing what you've uh, plundered because that's the mindset. Uh, the, the carnal mind just assumes that everybody else is just as carnally minded. And uh, you, know, you, you just... Uh, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the wicked, what does it say? Okay? And you, just, you live in a universe where you're waiting for the next guy to stab you in the back. Because all day long you're, you're looking to stab people in the back. And that's how it goes. And so it is no gain at all. Remember we were discussing last week the nature of um, free market, the nature of, of commerce, the nature of of the voluntary exchange of goods and services and, the, and how it is a win-win in both directions every time it's employed because it's voluntarily. It's a voluntary exchange. And any voluntary exchange in God's design is a win-win. God himself designed our whole, the whole plan of the universe around a voluntary exchange that our wickedness will be applied to Christ and Christ's righteousness will be applied to us. And it's a voluntary exchange that Jesus Christ voluntarily accepted our sin. And it's a voluntary exchange that He voluntarily extends His righteousness to our account. And this is, this is the whole plan of the universe. I think this is what the angels have to learn in watching us. Alright? And uh, <coughs> everything then that we choose to do when we, when we engage in, in the free market, when we exchange money for, for products, and so forth. It's that voluntary exchange. And, and it's a win-win every single time. And it's not, uh, it's not plundering from somebody else because he has too much and I want it. That's not a voluntary exchange. It actually diminishes what he has. 
He's not choosing to give that up. It's being taken from him. Okay? Big difference. And so if somebody else is, is weakened so that I can be strengthened, that's not the plan of God. If it's against their will, if it's involuntary, if it's government coercion at the threat of a gun t- through taxation or whatever else, that's not the win-win that God designed. That's diminishing somebody else so somebody else can, can uh, increase. We want to be clear on this. All right. And so um, what's the second half of this verse? Putting down roots. What happens when you put down roots? Not immediately, but eventually you're going to bear some fruit, are you not? That the root is going to, is going to I should have put roots and shoots and fruits. Instead I just did roots and fruits. But you have roots and shoots and fruits and it takes time. But ultimately... What do you have? You're going to have multiple fruits. You're going to have multiple crops. You're going to have seasons whereby this, uh, this uh, plant or this stalk or this vine or this tree or whatever, you're going to have crop after crop after crop after crop. Say, I grew up in Washington State, so we're proud of our apple trees and orchards and and uh, cherry trees. There's tons of cherry orchards in Washington State. And, and, and whatever the fruit is, you know, you, you don't replant. I mean, you, the same tree can have multiple crops year after year after year after year if you're tending it, if you're nurturing it in the, the process there. And that's what God designs. We're putting down roots and we're producing this fruit. So we're connected to Christ in the John 15 language. All right? So roots and fruits are God's program for production and generosity. Notice the idea of production is not just to make more, make more, make more and become a miser. Hoard it all, keep it, okay? Tear down my barns and build bigger barns because I need, I need more storage to hoard everything and keep it all to myself. That's not what it's about. The abundance is to be generous. The abundance is to share. All right, and so we have roots and fruits. Um, Psalm 1. This was, uh, Ralph used to talk about the Psalm 1 a lot because this was his dad's favorite passage. And even, even when he was in the midst of Alzheimer's, Theodore Braun could still recite Psalm 1. Isn't that amazing? You know, and, and he'd be totally confused about everything else in the world, but six verses of Psalm 1, and he could recite it top to bottom. And that's, that's just an amazing power in, uh, in Scripture. So, um, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor seat, sit in the seat of scoffers. So there's two ways you can go, but if you're a man of God, you walk in God's path. You walk according to the Word of God, and that's the, that's the walk of happiness, asherah happiness. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted. What does that mean? That means you're putting down roots. That means you're secure. Those roots are are digging deep. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields, see there's the yield, which yields his fruit in its season. His leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And so the roots are digging deep. And sure, there's seasons, and then there's in season and out of season, and there's, 
there's uh, winter and there's time that, uh, 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 where you're not bearing the fruit, but guess what? The seasons come around again and here's another crop. Seasons come around again and here's another yield. Here's more fruit. Here's more production. And it's about production. And, 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 and uh, that's the, the nature of God. Remember, God is a worker. God is a producer. God is the one that's bringing about the yield. But the wicked are not so. <laughs> They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. And uh, you know, if the wind blows it away, where is it? Where'd it go? Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so the, there's the idea. Now this is a concept. These are metaphors. Not saying that every believer has to be a farmer, every believer has to plant and grow stuff. I'm fully transparent with everybody that I am, what's the opposite of a green thumb? That's me, okay? I am, I am anti-green, in, 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 and I always have been, okay? I couldn't grow anything, and, uh, and never have my whole life. So, you know, you got to know your limitations, <laughs> kindergarten they give you a little Dixie cup in the soil and you plant the seed in there and you take the little project home and you water and you put it in the window and mine never grew and, and you know as a five year old how tra- traumatic is that you know my mother was devastated I was just well okay didn't care um, but that's the thing and so whatever the case so take it out of the farming realm whatever your business is whatever your your vocation is whatever your pursuits are um, it could be opposite of agriculture. Maybe it's industrial. Maybe it's computer. Maybe it's whatever it is. Okay. Maybe it's uh, academic. Maybe it's studying and teaching. Studying and teaching. Okay. That's my life. And so, forty-five hours a week in the mine, and eleven hours a week in the in the in the church building. And that's you want to be productive. That's the point. You want to be productive. And so in that production, what are you doing? You are generating, you are creating. Okay, We are creative in the image of our Creator. And in so, in so producing and in so um, supplying, you then have the abundance to share. That's the point. If, if you're not productive, what are you doing? Are you just destructive? <laughs> are you redistributive? That's called plunder. Okay? Because the plunder doesn't produce. Plunder just takes. And, and, and somebody else is diminished so that you can obtain something you didn't have before. That's not productive. And, and, and it, in long term, it can't, it can't go on. Okay? That's why socialism never works. That's why, uh, as Margaret Thatcher said, sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And, uh, and socialism never long term can sustain itself by definition. It's not productive. It's redistributive. All right. Um, so that's Psalm 1. How about Isaiah? Isaiah 27. We had this, it came up again and again in Isaiah and Jeremiah, so these should be fresh in our thinking. Isaiah 27. We got 24 through 27. It's called the, the uh, little apocalypse of Isaiah. It's this section of Isaiah that's remarkable in what it describes here. Isaiah 27, in that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan. I've got such marvelous angelic conflict information here with the dragon, right? Satan. 
In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. What's he running from? Okay. With his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. In that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it, I, the Lord, am its keeper. And so here's something that's worthy of being sung about. He's not going to sing about the dragon. The dragon's dead, okay? But he's going to sing about the production. He's going to sing about the glory of the coming kingdom and and celebrate the vineyard of wine. Sing of it, okay? Every time we take communion, what are we doing? It's like we're drinking a toast to the coming kingdom because it's just a little sip, it's just a little taste, but boy, I can't wait for the the true wine when, when we're in resurrection glory. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. When God talks about what He's going to do, what a rebuke on Adam. Adam didn't do this. He was supposed to. (laughs) Adam was supposed to cultivate the garden and to keep it, to guard it. He didn't guard it. He let that snake in. He let that snake talk to his wife. What was he doing? He should have been cultivating the garden and keeping it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. This is beautiful. Uh, I, I water it every moment so that no one will damage it. I guard it night and day. I have no wrath. Should someone give me briars and thorns in battle, then I would step on them. I would burn them completely. Okay? You don't want thorns and thistles. What are you doing? You want to tend this garden. You want to, you want to minister uh, appropriately here. Anyway, this is our pattern. This is what the Lord does. We should be doing this. Jeremiah. Let's see, is there more in this? There's um, verse 5. Let him rely on my protection. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout. They will fill the whole world with fruit. See, this is the design. This is why the earth itself was designed to be life-giving. And we come out of the earth, and what sustains us, where does it come from? It comes from, from the earth. It's interesting, all right? And, and it's not, see, it's not quick. It's not easy. It's not just grab and go. It takes time to plant and, and uh, tend and nurture and get rid of the thorns and the thistles and, and uh, get the vermin out of there and, and uh, take it from roots to shoots to fruits. And, and uh, you fill the whole world with its fruit, okay? Well, it takes time, but it's worth it. Absolutely it's worth it. All right, uh, Jeremiah 17. Verse 7 and verse 8. Um, again, there's a contrast here. Two different ways we could live. Uh, look in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Here's, uh, here's a direction we don't want to go. And if, you're, if you think politics is going to save you or <laughs> people, or uh, people will let you down. Everyone will let you down. I don't care how good they are. The people, they're sinners. There will come a day and they're going to disappoint you. So trust in the Lord. Um, Verse 6, he will be like a bush in the desert 
and will not see when prosperity comes. But we'll live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitants, just a little scraggly little cactus, a little scraggly little bush, a little pathetic thing that, uh, yeah, it survives. It can uh, somehow, it's just, you know, never grows very large. It doesn't, you know, it's not, uh, there's no grand forest that's producing all this great food that you're going to dwell under its shade and you're going to eat from it and it's going to protect you and it's going to bless you. It's just a scraggly little desert shrub. Okay? However, there's a contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Two things that are being said there. You trust in the Lord because He Himself is your trust. For He will be like a tree that's a lot better than a shrub or a bush. A tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. He will not fear when the heat comes. Why? Because you're under the shade. You're sheltered. You're protected. And uh, its leaves will be green. It will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. What a pleasant place. Sitting under the tree, shaded from the sun, shaded from the heat, partaking of its fruit. Well, what do you want? You want to hide under the desert shrub? (laughs) Or do you want to rest in Christ under this luxurious tree? That's the metaphor. That's the contrast there. But it takes time. I mean, those roots, you got to plant them. You got to nurture them. They got to, how long does it take for a root to get that deep? Um, You know, when you're planting a tree, are you going to get are you going to get, uh, you plant it today, are you going to be eating the apples tomorrow? No, of course not. A lot of that uh, takes patience. The, that's the, the, uh, the, the imagery of James there, the patience as you wait patiently for the crop. The farmer waits patiently. That's our example to endure. That's our example to, uh, to walk by faith. All right, so that's back to Proverbs now. Verse 12. Wickedness traps and seizes, but righteousness puts down roots so as to yield and supply. And, and beyond capitalism versus socialism, like I say, beyond farming versus um, stealing, um, the, uh, the idea of production, even in, in my pastoral scope of, of, um, of things, how many, uh, how many pastors don't study? in terms of um, mining it out, digging it up, uh, studying it out, getting into the Hebrew, getting into the Greek, digging it up, finding stuff. How many are just plundering from other pastors and, uh, and just uh, teaching what somebody else already taught? Okay, Listening to a tape and passing it along. Is that productive? What are we doing in the body of Christ? Are we digging it up and, and are we... Uh, are we contributing to the larger body of, of doctrine, the larger body of knowledge that we can pass to the next generation so that they can stand on the shoulders of giants and pass it to the next generation and pass it to the next generation? Should the 21st century not have a greater grasp of, of doctrine than the 20th century or the 19th century or the 18th century? Okay, And this is, to me, I think um, this comes back again to the Father's desire for productivity to produce something that had not existed before and to uh 
and to, uh, to, to refine earlier understandings that maybe were not complete, that were incomplete, that need refinement because in their incomplete sense they're not as, uh, they're not as accurate as they could be. Okay? And I'm not saying uh, in make up something or invent something or throw something out there new and novel for the sake of saying, hey, no one's ever thought of this before. But in a way, are we afraid of that? And should we be? All right, because there's whole there's whole um, schools of, of of Christendom that would never ever branch out if 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 Calvin didn't say it, it's not right. If the reformers didn't, if it's not reformed theology, if you can't point to a reformer that developed that doctrine, then how dare you? don't ever go beyond the reformers, okay? Or don't ever go beyond the fathers, or don't ever go beyond the the Catholic. Uh, councils or church councils or any of those. You, know, you see what I'm saying? And so they get trapped in our tradition. Hey, if, if Colonel didn't teach it like that, <laughs> how dare you? You know, so there's a, there's, a, there's a mindset and the problem with that is it's not productive. You're not adding to the body of, of doctrine that, that we should be adding to. Anyway, stay tuned because I think this is a principle that comes to um, Hebrews. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. And what does that mean? Does that mean that's where we stop? Does that mean that we had many portions in many ways in the Old Testament and now all of a sudden we got Jesus and so we stop there? Do we stop with what's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Do we stop with His Son? No. What did the apostles do? They took the revelation of Jesus Christ, they built on it. They expanded it. That's why we have epistles. That's why we have the book of Hebrews. And, and, the, and that whole principle is not designed to, and now we have a, a complete canon of Scripture. We've got 66 books. What do we do? I'm not saying add to the canon. I'm saying we never stop producing. God expects us to continuously, constantly be producing. And so we dig, and we dig, and we learn, and we put Scripture together with Scripture, and we find new things. Not that they're new, but it's a new discovery. Okay? Is this making any sense? All right. The whole principle is we want to be productive. We're not just moving deck chairs around on the Titanic. Okay? We're not just plundering stuff from here to here to here and moving stuff around and not adding to the overall production. Because our Father is productive. And He's going to keep on being productive. It's not going to stop. See, in the tribulation we're going to have prophets. In the millennium we're going to have prophets. There will be new prophecies given in the millennial kingdom. Joel 2 speaks of that. And so does that mean we're going to get a third testament? What's going to happen? Is there going to be additional books added to the canon in the millennial kingdom? I don't know, but it could be. All right? Could be. Because the Father is productive. So, we have that. All right. So back to Proverbs 12 then, and we have this. Um, there's booty, and then there's yield. The fruit, the root of the righteous yields fruit. It's a yield. It's a production. It's something new that you're not stealing from somebody else. It's something new that is grown, it is yield, it is produced. All right, which gets us then into verse 13. 
words. Speaking of nets, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. Words are either ensnaring or relieving. Words are either ensnaring or relieving. Do you want to be relieved? Do you want to be rescued, escape from trouble? Say the right thing. Speak the truth in love. It's a great relief to speak the truth. The pressure's off because it's true. <laughs> okay? And uh, as far as wickedness goes, lies, other verbal sins, other sins of the tongue, the, the, the ensnaring that comes through that, it's enslaving. They're either ensnaring or relieving. See, we're either uh, the, the great relief to, to just come clean. Just confess it. Okay? Confess it to your father. Confess it to whomever. Okay? Um, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the pattern that we have when, uh, um, when all the father's looking for is confession. And what a relief. Okay? <laughs> when, uh, oh man, I, got, I, I probably have 30 stories I could tell from my childhood of uh, getting caught and, and confessing and just owning up to it, you know? Were you playing in the creek again? Well, I'm dripping wet from head to toe because I fell into the stupid thing and, and I come home soaking wet and I'd already been told not to play in the creek. I'd already been told that there was some concern about ticks and some concern about Lyme disease and whatever. I don't some goofy thing. But mom and dad read it in the news and, and, and there were some ticks and whatever. There was something that was going around. I don't pay attention to that. It's a creek. It's a fun thing. You can skip rocks and you can chase you know little frogs and whatever else. And uh, so we were told to stay out of the creek. And, uh, and I got away with it for a day or two, a couple, t- two or three days. It was, it was a fun place to play. And as long as no one knew, you're only in trouble if you get caught. Well, I got caught. And I came home soaking wet. And um, yeah, what are you going to say? You can't deny it. So then you just cry and say you're sorry and apologize and yes, I disobeyed and all this other stuff. And, uh, and so you own up to it. And then you actually feel better. Your conscience is, is cleared. You don't have to, you know... When, when, when mom asked, you know, where did you play today? Oh, I went to the park. No, I didn't. I was in the creek. And now I feel bad because now not only was I sinning by going to the creek, I'm compounding the sin by lying to my mom. I wasn't swinging on a swing at the park. I was in the creek. Anyway, she's in heaven now, so I can probably spell all these stories. And... But the confession, okay? The absolute confession and that's what we're looking for. What was what was Adam looking? What was God looking for when He comes? Look, you know Genesis chapter three. Because if you are going to persist in your wickedness and deny, deny. Oh, I didn't laugh. Sarah says, "Oh, I didn't laugh." I say, "Yeah, you did." All he wanted was the admission, the confession. All right, Genesis three. I should have put that on here too. I left that off. Um, he comes in the garden in the cool of the day and uh, they hear him walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hide themselves because they know they're naked so they're hiding. 
And interestingly enough, they've already sewed the fig leaves together. They've covered themselves. They made themselves loin coverings, but they're still naked. So they hide. And uh, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now he's not asking that question because he's ignorant. He's not asking that question so that he could obtain information that he doesn't already have. He knows He has the information. He knows the answer to the question. So why do you ask a question if you already know the answer? I just did that, didn't I? Why do you ask a question if you already know the answer? Because you are instructing. Through eliciting the response, you are instructing. And you are providing the opportunity for the person in giving that answer to confess what needs to be confessed to come forward themselves in their own priesthood, in their own volition, in their own uh, initiative, to answer the question and to acknowledge what needs to, be, what needs to be out there. So where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Well, that's kind of an answer. That's mostly true. There's still things left out. Okay, so follow-up question. Who told you that you were naked? Notice he's still naked. I was afraid because I was naked. They'd already clothed himself with the, with, uh, with, uh, the fig leaves, but he's still afraid because he's still naked. The fig leaves, the human effort doesn't cut it. You can wrap yourself with whatever and you're still naked in God's standard, Okay. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So now two questions. And, and again, he has the information. He's not asking for in his ignorance. He's looking for this opportunity to confess. And he won't do it. Now he's making excuses. He's going to blame the woman. The woman whom you gave to me with me. It's her fault. She gave to me. She gave me from the tree and I ate. Really, is he blaming her? Is he blaming God? I think he's blaming God. You know, God, you gave me that woman. <laughs> okay? You, you should have given me a better woman. Why didn't you give me a woman that wouldn't tempt me like that? You know, yeah, I'd have a happier marriage if I had a better wife. <laughs> what am I saying? You know, and how many women say, man, my husband's the worst. Like it's his fault I have a terrible marriage. Well, how about you're a sinner, they're a sinner, and you got two sinners that are heirs together, the grace of life. Let's start growing in grace and knowledge. And so he asked the woman, what is this that you have done? Now she has an opportunity to repent. She has an opportunity to confess. Adam's had three shots at it with three questions he's not, not doing. And... Um, she says, well, the serpent deceived me and I ain't. You know, in some respects, that is a true confession. First Timothy agrees with that. She was deceived. She owned up to it. The Lord God said to the serpent, now I love this. He does not ask the serpent, why have you done this? He has no question for the serpent at all. The serpent is beyond questioning. The angelic realm is over and done with. They're beyond their, their time of, of questioning. Um, this is just because you have done this and here's his judgment. The serpent's already a fallen creature. 
because you have done this. So I think that spells it out there too. You get over to chapter 4 and you got this uh, question with Cain and Abel. And more questions. Interestingly enough, in verse 6, even before you get to verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? More questions. More questions. I know what your mental attitude is like because I can see it on your face. You look angry. Man, if looks could kill. And uh, notice uh, no answer. Cain doesn't, has no reply for that. So if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. You're, you have the wrong attitude right now to deal with this sin that's crouching, that's about to pounce. And, and right now your attitude is, is so wrong, when it does pounce, you're done. You know, you are, your attitude is wrong, and, and when that temptation hits, you're already doomed because attitudinally you're already in this, in this bad place. Well, Cain kills his brother. And, uh, and it's interesting because it says Cain told Abel his brother. Told him what? Told him about the Lord. Told him about these questions. Told him about these conversations. Told him about sin, crouching. Told him about what the, what the Lord had told him. So it's not that he was ignorant or ignored it. He knew all about it. He shared it with his brother. And then he killed him. All right. And so, more questions. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So here's an answer in complete denial. Total lie. And uh, he's coming. God, when God desires confession... Any excuse you make, any excuse, is going to be condemning. Quit making excuses. My drill sergeant used to always say, no excuse, right? Is that the way in the Navy, in the Marines, did you have the no excuse drill sergeant? Yeah. No excuse drill sergeant. Even if there's a reason, there's still no excuse. (laughs) Okay? There may be an explanation, but there's still no excuse. You know? The father's looking for confession. And uh, you know, and, and, and what's remarkable to me, I think, is uh, so we have accountability for what we do. We're moral creatures in, in the will of God. We have accountability for what we do, and then we intensify that accountability by what we say. And if we're making excuses, if, we are, if we're accusing or excusing, what are we doing? We're just compounding the discipline. We're accountable for what we say. And if we're going to live in rebellion against God and deny that what we did was sin, we're just adding fire to the, to the, the adding the, the flames to the fire, right? That's horrible. All right. Um, I did not put, let me find that passage so I can, uh, she's laughing and says she doesn't laugh, okay? In uh, chapter 18. Where is Sarah, your wife? There in the tent and Sarah laughed to herself in verse 12. And uh, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I become old shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh? And Sarah denies it in verse 15. I didn't laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Okay. 
All he wants is the truth. He's asking these kind of questions. He knows the answers already. So speak the truth. Uh, 2 Samuel 12. There's a positive. Let me skip that one. I'll come back to that one. Let me get to another bad example. 2 Kings 5. Because second, uh, yeah, the Samuel's a good example. I'm going to get save that for last. Second uh, Kings chapter five. Verses twenty-five through twenty-seven. And uh, this is Gehazi who chases after Naaman, the Syrian, after he'd been healed from the. Remember, after the Syrian got healed from Elisha. Uh, he, he was willing to give uh, a reward and, and Elisha said, no, I don't I want your money. I'm not here. I don't work for you. I work for the Lord. And Anyway, um, Gehazi gets greedy and chases after him. Makes up this whole story. He says, oh, guess what? I mean, no sooner did you leave than you know, this thing happened. Can, can you donate to this cause? And um, anyway, it's all just a pack of lies. And then he comes back. And in verse 25, when he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? <laughs> you know? if, your pro- if your boss is a prophet, don't lie to him. He said, your servant went nowhere. And he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper white as snow. Leprosy to him and his descendants. Wow. All right. He asked the question, all he wanted was confession. And then here's the good example. Second Samuel chapter 12. Uh, this is David. He gets caught. We'll pick up on this next week because I want to spend some time with this, but Just think about verse 13. When he gets condemned, when he gets the judgment, when he gets the divine discipline assigned, and this whole message is then delivered, Nathan closes his address in verse 12. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Bingo, right there. That's what he wants to hear. I have sinned against the Lord. Anything else, David would have been a dead man right there on the spot. Nathan said to David, the Lord has also taken away your sin, you shall not die. (laughs) That's how close David was to the sin and the death, right there on the spot. Any excuse about, oh, well, you know, I couldn't help it, or oh, well, you know, I was up on my roof and she was naked taking a bath, and oh, well, you know, I didn't, none of that. I have sinned against the Lord. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I appreciate that. All right, we'll pick up on this next week, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Father, thank You for Your truth. Thank You for this day. And uh, open our eyes to this truth. I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.